So we're in Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 28. But before we get started, I have a series of questions I want to ask you to consider and think about. Some of them I want your opinion on, others I just might want you to contemplate. And the first one in talking about identity, this big topic that we're talking about, is who are you? As a person, who are you? This is a big question. And I don't think I would be able to answer this if I was sitting in your shoes in junior high and Joe McTarsney, my junior high youth minister, would ask me this question. I don't know who I would have been or how I would have responded. What words would you use to describe yourself? But now that I'm older, I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. I know who he has made me and how I'm distinct and different. The term identity, I looked it up in the dictionary and several different ones. It says the fact of being who or what a person is. Another one says who or what someone is. I like what the learner's dictionary says. Someone who is the name of that person. That's what someone kind of is. And you might be thinking that's kind of still sounds cryptic. What is an identity? Well, I want to ask you guys this. What do you think makes up a person's identity? And this is where I want your response. What do you think makes up a person's identity? What? Visual image. So their visual image. Okay. What else? Actions. Their actions. All right. Their traits. Their traits. Okay. How they treat people. All right. What they believe or support. What they believe or support. Okay. Personality. Good. Dang. All right. What they do. What they do. How they dress. All these things, right? But if we had to refine it to a couple of things, three, three things come to my mind is their body, name, and personality. All the other things you guys mentioned play a role and a part. But these things play a big aspect within our identity. And so... If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the four lies I'm going to mention. There are four lies that we are told that make a person's identity that are not true. Lie number one, you are what you feel. The world will tell you, your teachers might tell you, family might tell you, you are what you feel. That is not true. That is not biblical. You know why? Because there's been some days growing up in this church, I knew I was a believer, but there would be days where I felt like I wasn't saved. What's, what's true? That I'm saved or that I'm not saved? My, your feelings do not dictate your identity. There's a, uh, have you guys ever seen those YouTubers that watch reaction videos? And they're all of a sudden, they're watching the video and they're responding to it. I was watching one of those. And there was this 60-year-old man pretending to be a six-year-old boy. He really thought he was a six-year-old boy. And that is how he felt. The reality is, he is not. He is a six-year-old man. 
It doesn't matter if I, I'm a 30-year-old man. I'm not going to feel like a junior high or feel older. The reality is I'm 30 years old. So the first lie is you are what you feel. That is not true. The second lie, you are what you have. You are what you have. The things that we have, possibly clothes or whatever. No. What about Job? Job had everything stripped from him. All of his kids died. All of his things burned up, taken from him. What was he then? See, I had a cousin, I still have a cousin growing up, and he played soccer all of his life. Played it throughout elementary, junior high, high school. He was part of several club teams. It was his identity. It was everything. But can I imagine for you that play sports, if you play basketball, if you play soccer, if you play football, what if that was taken from you? That would be rough, right? But that's not just your identity alone. My cousin, his, uh, his last game he played in college, it was hard for him. And he wept at his game because he goes, what am I going to do now? He spent most of his weekdays practicing, playing at games, all these things. It consumed his life. But when that was taken away, part of his identity, he kind of had this little identity crisis. Third lie is you are what you do. You are what you do. That's a lie. And the fourth lie, you are what other people say or think you are. That's not the case. You know why? Because you are going to have so many people say so many things to you. Some of it might be good things. A lot of it might be bad things. We've all been insulted, correct? We've all been made fun of. We've all been bullied to some extent. People might say, you're ugly. And when that label is thrown out towards you, it slaps on you and it hovers over your head, you feel like. And those words sometimes don't leave your mind. They might say, oh, you're fat. That's another label thrown on you. And you feel this, oh, I'm fat and ugly because it's what other people think and what other people say about me. There's that term, uh, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may never hurt. That's a lie. Words hurt the most. But you are not what other people say about you. And I want us to be aware of these lies. Because the next question, what are some reasons knowing our identity is important? What do you guys think? Why is knowing who we are so important? The first thing, who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. Let me explain. Because I am a sinner, or I was a sinner, I am a sinner still <laughs> to some extent, I sin. Because I'm a sinner, I sin. But as soon as I get right with Jesus Christ, I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior, he changes me from the inside out. And he makes me a child of God. He makes me righteous. He makes me holy. He makes me his son. 
He makes me light. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, you are lights of the world, you are what you do. You are naturally shining that light wherever you are at, whether it's at school, whether it's at a coffee shop, whatever it may be. Who you are determines what you do. And if we are a believer, we will worship. If we are a believer, we will read God's word. If we are a believer, we will do these things. See, everyone wants an identity. They want to feel, they want to be a part. They want to be belonging to something. And sometimes they're willing to even change their identity to fit in or change certain things about themselves to fit in. We've all been there. Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 1 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally, it means don't be formed into the world's pattern. The world is literally pressing around us, trying to squeeze us into their specific mold. And the way that they do that is through music, through TV, through all sorts of avenues. You guys are constantly under attack in your identity. The enemy will do everything in his power to destroy your identity, to confuse you, to distort your image and view of self. But knowing who you are in Christ can save your life. It will. So, the one thing I want to focus on today is names. I want to focus on names today. What do you think? Are names a big deal? You're shaking your head. Yeah, I mean, like, well, well, once we be Yo, bro, what up? <laughs> What's up, dude? So you think names are a big deal? Does anybody disagree? You don't think so? Why not? Because people say names have meanings. Like, um, like what's your name is, like, in another language, I can mean a certain, like, word. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, most of the time, people don't really want to live up to that. So it's just, like, it's just another sound people use when they're calling. Okay. I want to do an exercise with you guys. I want you guys all to close your eyes really quick. Don't fall asleep, okay? <laughs> You're going to open them up in a moment. Close your eyes. And I'm watching, and I can see whose eyes are not closed. Close your eyes. Jordan, put your eyes closed. Close your eyes, okay? When I say Josh Collins, what pops into your mind? My face, right? This bald white guy <laughs> with a beard. All right. If I say, keep your eyes closed, Pastor David, who pops into your mind? Some of you guys might have never seen him before, so you're like, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> He's the pastor of this church. Keep your eyes closed. I'll do one more. What about The Rock, Dwayne Johnson? All of you can picture him, right? You probably picture his muscles and he's just like this huge guy and, or something. Now open your eyes. Your name is important because it's associated with your image. It is associated with everything that you are. That's how we identify. If I get pulled over by a cop, which I've only gotten pulled over twice, never got a ticket, okay? Um, I got, you, want to, you have to show them your driver's license. And like, who are you? Josh Collins, that identifies me. Your name is a part of your identity. It plays a big role. In the Hebrew tongue, a man's name was often descriptive of his character. And that is true of God. The names of God reveal the character of God. So when we sing that song, Jaira, 
That's actually taken from Genesis 22:14, when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son and God provides a sacrifice, and he says, the Lord will provide. Jairah means God is my provider. It is descriptive of who God is. Back in the Old Testament, every name had immense significance related to the character of that person. And I want to focus on two people today. So look at Genesis 25 with me, verse 21 through 28. Verse 21, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went and inquired of the Lord. I love that. When she had a problem with what was going on inside of her, she went to the Lord first before Googling it, okay? <laughs> Always go to the Lord. And the Lord said in verse 23, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One per people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So when the days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there was twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So they named, uh, so his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the, his game, but Jacob loved, uh, but Re Rebekah loved Jacob. So we have two twin brothers here. They are not identical. Identical means they look alike. They are fraternal twins here. And we see Esau, the older one, just by a couple of seconds, he was born, and he was red, and he, he was hairy. Do you guys know what the name Esau means? 100% correct. It means hairy. They saw him, they're like, dude, this kid's hairy. As an infant, he was probably like fuzzy all over, and they're like, dude, this guy's hairy. That's what his name's going to be. He's Esau. But we know of his character and a little bit of his personality. He was a skillful hunter and a man in the field. Dude, he would take his bow and arrow and go out to the field and be just like, like taking down like beasts and animals. He loved being outdoor. He loved doing yard work. He liked doing those things. That was who he was. Then you have Jacob. It says Jacob was a mild man who dwelt in tents. How many of you guys love doing yard work? Nobody in this room? How many of you guys, if you had a choice between yard work or doing like chores inside, washing dishes, vacuuming, which would you choose? Raise your hand if you would choose yard work. Okay. Raise your hand if you would choose dishes and vacuuming and stuff. See? There's so many different personalities here. One's not better than the other. And so Jacob, he preferred to stay inside. Dude, check this out. Jacob was a chef too. Uh, 25 verse uh, 29. It says, now Jacob cooked stew. Dude, he knew how to prepare a mean dish. I want to try this stew. Like, uh, I love to cook. Anybody like to cook? See, that's part of your personality. That's part of your identity. You like to cook. I like to cook and experiment in the kitchen and make some different things. It's fun. So we also know, according to Genesis 27, verse 11, that he was a smooth-skinned man. He had, like, no arm hair. 
smooth skin, where Esau was this hairy dude, like Chewbacca. I'm just kidding, not Chewbacca. But he was hairy. Now, what do you think Jacob's name meant out of these four options? Deceiver, cheater, supplanter, or heel holder? What do you think his name meant? A? Deceiver, okay. C, supplanter. D, heel holder. D, D. Knowing how the rest of the story goes, A. A. Actually, Jacob means all of these things. Yep, trick question. I should have put that on or E, all the above. So his name, when he was born, he had a hold of his brother's heel. Heel holder. It also means supplanter in the Hebrew. It means cheater or deceiver. And names were given to them, and that was a big part of their identity. This reflected who he was. Now, I want to make a disclaimer, because you are right, uh, Isaac. Just because if you have a name Jacob in here, that does not mean you are a deceiver. Okay? If I put a panel of Josh's here, each one of us would be different. Just because you have this certain name doesn't mean that lines up with your character. That was back in biblical times in different situations. Now I do not believe that your name defines your character in that kind of sense. But your name is part of your identity. Does that make sense? So, Jacob's identity reveals that he was marked by failure, deception, scheming, cheating, tricking people. That's who he was. Do you know the first person he tricked? His twin brother. Look at verse 29. He cooked some stew and he was weary. And he goes, dude, please feed me. And he goes, all right, I'll feed you. But you got to sell me your birthright. He's like, really, dude? You're going to pull that card? The firstborn had a bunch of different privileges and responsibilities put upon them because they were the firstborn. He goes, give me your birthright and I'll give you some stew. And he's like, fine, I'll, I'll give it to you. Just give me some food. I'm dying here. And so he stole his brother's birthright. Do you know the second person he deceived? His father. So his father, Isaac, is blind and is about to die. He calls Esau in. He goes, hey, can you get me some, like, dude, I'm, I'm really feeling like a rack of lambs. Can you go hunt a lamb for me? Or I don't know. And cook it up and bring it for, like, one of my last meals. And he's like, yeah, Dad, I got you. He goes out. But the mom's like listening in. And she's like, I got an idea. And she goes to Jacob. She goes, Jacob, we're going to deceive your dad. He's like, what, mom, really? He's like, what? And literally they conspired together. And so they cook a meal. And he goes, mom, I can't deceive dad. He knows my voice. She goes, just deepen it. And he's like, okay. He goes, but my skin, it's smooth. She goes, wrap like goat's hair on you. So he wrapped goat's hair on his arm. And he goes, I don't smell like Esau. She goes, throw some dirt on you. So he rubs some dirt. So he's like, smells like dirty and like he's been out in the fields. And he deceives his dad. And his dad gives him a blessing. And he leaves. And then Esau comes in and Isaac's confused. He goes, wait, I already gave you the blessing, Esau. And he realized that he was tricked and deceived. And so Jacob rose and ran away 400 miles away because his brother wanted to murder him. He was so fuming, he was so hot, he stole his birthright, he also stole his blessing. And so he was mad, and Jacob ran off. 
he ran to his uncle's house 400 miles away, this guy Laban. And as he gets to the well, he sees this girl, and it was love at first sight. He's like, dang, she's pretty. <laughs> and literally wants to marry her. He goes, um, asks Laban, he goes, hey, I want to marry her. And he goes, all right, you got to work for me for seven years. And he goes, all right, I'll do that. Yeah, question. Technically, you're right. It was his cousin. And you kind of thinking it's odd. Yes. Back then, it was different. But if you think about it, Adam and Eve, when they had kids, who did they marry? Their siblings. It was the very beginning. It wasn't weird back then, and there's more that we can go into on that later. Okay. But so Jacob works seven years for Laban, but Laban, Laban gives him a taste of his own medicine and deceives Jacob. He switched the girls. Because Rachel was the younger one, Leah was the older one, so he gives him Leah. And he's like, what the heck? And the dad's like, all right, if you work for me for another seven years, then I'll give you Rachel. And he works another seven years and finally gets Rachel, and he has two wives, which is wrong, not right. But God is not highlighting perfect people. He's highlighting flawed, messed up sinners that need God's grace and saving. And so 20 years go by. And he's living at Laban's house. God appears to him and says in chapter 31, verse 3, I want you to return to your father's home. I want you to go back to your father's house, to your family relatives. So they make that uh, way. If you guys would turn to Genesis 32 with me. Genesis 32, verse 24. So they, they're on their way back. And they travel this long distance. Jacob has his massive family now. He has 11 kids. He has two wives, too many female servants. He has all this cattle and sheep. And all of a sudden, as he's like approaching the promised land, he gets word that his brother Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, when he hears that, all of a sudden, all of his past failures pop into his mind. He goes, I deceived him, I cheated him, I did all these terrible things, and now he's remembering, he hasn't let go, and he's going to kill me. Fear enters in his heart, and terror grabs a hold of him. And he's freaking out. Jacob could not escape his past by running 400 miles away, and a bunch of time have passed, 20 years, no, he couldn't out escape his sin. No, what location and time could not change, one encounter with the living God would change. See, Jacob here in 20, chapter 32, he is going to have an encounter with God that would forever change him. But if you're taking notes, I would write this down. Brokenness always precedes blessing. Brokenness always precedes blessing. In other words, brokenness comes first, then there's the blessing involved. When God took and multiplied the bread, he first broke the bread, blessed it, and then gave it out. When God wants to bless us, he's going to first break us. Some of you experienced that breaking at camp, but now he wants to bless. And not only that, I'm sorry to inform you, you will go through multiple breakings in your life where you hit the edge and you're saying, God, I can't go any further. I don't know what to do. And the Lord will break you again and he'll break you again. 
But when you're broken in the Father's hands, there's no better place to be because He takes those broken things and makes something beautiful out of them. Trust me. I've been broken multiple times and my process is not done yet. And so, brokenness always precedes blessing. Look at verse 24 with me. Then Jacob was left alone. See, he actually sent his uh, two wives, his female servants, his 11 sons, and all of his flocks and everything over this river. And now he was left alone. Verse 24, then Jacob, when he was left alone, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now when he, this he's capital, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip, hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So when he said to him, your name is, what is your name? And he said, it's Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over uh, Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. I love this story. Because if you have your own Bible, you might want to circle the man, because my Bible has the man capitalized. It's actually God here in the story. He takes on the appearance of a man, and he wrestles with Jacob. How do we know this? Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, it says, And he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him, and he found him in Bethel. And there he spoke to us. He wrestled with God. He was alone. Now, I want to make a point here. Isolation can be a tool of the enemy. If we isolate ourselves from our friends, from our family, that's the enemy's playground. When he can get you away from everybody else and he got you alone, and he can whisper into your ear. You and I have to be careful not to continue to isolate ourselves. Isolation is dangerous. But... You and I need to make purposeful times to get alone with Jesus, to get alone with God. See, too often when we're alone, we are not alone with God. We are alone with our own thoughts. And when we are alone with our own thoughts, we are thinking about all these different scenarios and we're talking to ourselves. And the Bible says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. The way King David actually backslid before he was King David was in 1 Samuel 7, 27, and it says, he said in his heart. He was talking to himself and taking advice from himself. Never do that. Because the advice that comes from your heart is not good. It's tainted. It's polluted. If I baked a batch of brownies here, 
And I said, here's some brownies. You guys can have some, but there's one catch. There's only a little bit of dog poop in it. Would you eat it? Probably not, no. But we don't take that mindset and apply it to other things. Our hearts are wicked. We can't trust ourselves. See, when God wants to deal with us, he will get us alone. That could, that could honestly be in this moment here. You might be in a crowded room, but God is dealing with you internally in your thoughts at this moment. Maybe it was at that camp. Maybe it's when you get alone in your room. God, when he wants to deal with us, he gets us alone, not in a public place in front of other people because he doesn't want to shame us. He doesn't want to humiliate us or embarrass us. He loves us and he wants to correct us privately in love and tenderness. So this man, God, attacks Jacob. Notice, look at what it says. This, it says, he was left alone and a man wrestled with Jacob. Notice who started the fight. The man did. God started the fight. Jacob didn't start the fight. Can you imagine it? It's dark. It's, it's at night. And all of a sudden, this man comes out of nowhere. And I, this is what I picture in my mind. All of a sudden, God comes over and pushes him. He goes, let's, let's go, Jacob. And like, he goes, let's fight. And he's like, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, they just start like wrestling. God picked the fight with Jacob. The question is, why? Why did God pick the fight with Jacob? Because God wanted something from him. God wanted all of Jacob's proud self-reliance and self-confidence and fleshly scheming. God wanted to take it. And since he wouldn't offer it to him, willingly, God says, I'll take it by force. That's what God wanted. He says, Jacob, I want all your problems. I want all your mistakes. I want all of your stubbornness. I want all of your sin. He goes, I'm not going to settle for nothing or some of it. God wants all of you. Question for us today is, what does God want from you today? Is there something specific? Maybe it's your tongue. Maybe it's your heart and you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's your eyes. What aspect of your life does God want See, God appeared to Jacob as a wrestler. If you actually look at the times God appeared to individuals, sometimes it changes. When Jesus in John 4, he met this woman at the well. All of his disciples went into town and he was left by himself. This woman comes at noon to fill up her pitcher of water and Jesus asks for, for some water. He met privately with this woman because he wanted to confront her about her sin. And she goes, first of all, why are you asking me? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. We don't talk. There was racial tension between them. And he, are, he started explaining. He goes, actually, if you were to ask me, I would give you living water. And she goes, what? who are you? <laughs> like, she's like, who is this weirdo? <laughs> and all of a sudden, they start talking, and she goes, oh, I got to go get my husband. And Jesus says, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man that you are now with is not your husband. And her jaw hits the floor. She goes, you're a prophet, aren't you? Like, there's something mysterious about you. What's up? And Jesus actually revealed his identity to this woman at the well. He says, I am the Christ. It's beautiful. 
And just as God met privately with this woman, God wants to meet privately with you and reveal his identity to you. Because we cannot understand our identity without first coming to grips about God's identity and who he is. Once we know who he is, then we will know who we are. Does that make sense? We have to know him first and foremost. And so it's kind of interesting. With this woman, he talked with a woman. With the man, he wrestled with the man. Ladies, sometimes you can talk and that's good. Us guys, we're like, let's do something. Like, have a pillow fight. Let's, let's wrestle. Let's, let's fight. We want to do something. God will appear to you in the way that you're going to receive it. I love that. In verse 25, notice it says, Now when he, referring to God, what, uh, saw that he did not prevail against him. Please don't think God is losing this battle. <laughs> God does not lose. He never loses. When he picks a fight, he's always going to win it. He is not a loser. He is a winner. God always wins. When it says that he could not prevail, it only seemed as if Jacob was winning. It only seemed like it. Now, we can't go off what things seem like. To you, it might seem like God is not doing anything about the evil in our world. It may seem like God doesn't hear your prayers. It may seem like God isn't there. That may be what you feel, but your feelings do not determine truth. The truth is, God was going to win. But look at the verse, rest of verse 25. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was disjointed as he wrestled with him. All of a sudden, God just went like this and went, boop. And, went, and his hip popped out of place, and they still wrestled. My sister, she has a, this um, kind of disease that has loose ligaments. Some of our family has it. I can pop my thumbs out of location. Um, my sister can pop her uh, shoulders out of place, um, and they can pop back in place. If she's carrying something too heavy, her arm will dislocate. Um, my aunt on that side, she actually could do jump ropes with her hands together, and she'd go all the way over with, and not let go. And she, they would pop out of place and pop back in place. When my sister was running track, she, uh, her hip would actually pop out of place at times. And so my dad actually learned to pop it back in place. The, the coach would call us and be like, dude, it happened again. And so we would go down to the field, and my dad actually taught the coach how to pop my sister's hip back in place. It's a painful thing. Jacob, his hip is dislocated, and he's still wrestling this angel, still wrestling God. This just shows how stubborn he was. And we as humans can be stubborn, right? Can I get an amen? Amen, right? We're, we can be stubborn, <laughs> And God knows that. But I believe in this moment, all of a sudden, the dots started to connect in Jacob's mind. He started to realize this is not just any man. There's something different about him. And it was through his hip getting dislocated that he started to be broken. And notice that verse that I read in Hosea. It says with weeping. Jacob was crying here. This is a full-grown man. He's in pain, not only in pain from his dislocated hip, but he's in pain because his, the fear of his brother possibly going to kill him, because of him being at odds with God, because of his nature and his old identity striving against God. 
he was weeping, pleading with God. In verse 26, notice that God says, let me go for the day breaks. He goes, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Have you guys ever seen a UFC or a boxing? It's, and when the guys get tired, some of them, they just like hug the other guy and, they're, <gasps> and they try to catch the breath. And they're like, the guy's like, get me off. I want to like knock you out. And this, I picture Jacob clinging to God. He says, let me go. He's like, I'm not going to let you go. And he's like in pain. There's tears coming down his face. They're both dirty. And God says to him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. See, I think I already said this, but it's worth repeating. We can't see ourselves until we first see the Lord. We can't see ourselves unless we first see the Lord. Once we see Jesus, then we'll be able to see ourselves. Jacob was the heel holder, the deceiver, the schemer, the cheater. He says, who are you? And what God is about to do right now, he's about to bring change into his life that would ripple across time, that would ripple across the world. Because in verse 28, he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Now, Israel is a, co a combination of two Hebrew words, which means God strives, God fights, uh, prince of God, or governed by God. And I like the last part, governed by God. Because this man was ruling his own life. And listen, the world will want to tell you, and it doesn't want to tell you, it does tell you that you are your own God. You can make your own decisions. You can do whatever you want with your own life. That is not true. If you are living that way, then God is not on the throne of your hearts and you will not have peace. You will not have joy. You will not have this love. Like some of you guys mentioned that you experienced at camp, it was a holy love unlike any other type of love. If you are making all the decisions, God literally kicked Jacob off the throne of his heart here. He says, now I govern your hearts. I govern your life. Are there times where we behave like our old nature? Yes. But the blessing of having a new name, God was basically saying, I'm giving you a new nature. I'm giving you a fresh start. And that's what Jesus does. If you need a fresh start, accept Jesus this morning. If you are a believer, there's always fresh start with Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to wash you. He will never reject you when you come to him in humility. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that's why he had to wrestle Jacob because he was so prideful. And he says, I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to submit. And God's like, I'm going to make you submit. Warren Wearsby said, Jacob prayed to be delivered from Esau but his greatest need was to be delivered from himself. Listen, your greatest need and my greatest need is to be delivered from our sin and ourself. Now, I want us to flip. I know we've got low on time here, but I want all of us to flip over to Isaiah 43 with me. You can see it's on the screen. It's towards the middle of your Bible. It's after Psalms before Jeremiah, Lamentations, or Ezekiel. I came across this verse in my personal devotions, and the Lord used this to really minister to me. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, 
It says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. I love this verse. You know why? Because the word create here is the word bara in the Greek. It's actually the same word used in Genesis 1.1, where God created time, space, and matter all in the same verse. He created something from nothing. He says, I created you. And every single one of you, God has created and has crafted. You are all created in the image of God, just as Jacob was. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows very well. The word cover in that verse there means to be woven together like a beautiful, intricate cloth. God has woven you together. Your personality, your skin color, your hair, everything that you are. For me, I praise God for who I am. I'm thankful for it. But notice at the end of this verse, he says, my soul knows very well. Do you know deep down inside, and can you say deep down inside that God has made me the way I am, and I'm going to praise him for it? Or are there certain things that you hate about yourself? I've been there. I hated myself growing up. I had blonde hair and blue eyes, and the rest of my family had brown hair and brown eyes. My siblings would tease me that I was adopted. They also teased me that I was chubby, so I thought I was fat as well. I had all these things floating around my head. I didn't like myself. I prayed to God, God, why'd you make me this way? Can we say what the psalmist says? My soul knows very well that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I can tell you today, I thank God for all the aspects of my life, the good and the bad. I thank God that I'm dyslexic. I thank God I'm a terrible reader. I thank God that I'm a terrible speller. I thank God that I'm creative and he's made me that way. I thank God for all the things he's done in my life and who he's made me to be. Thinking about this verse, it reminded me of a song by Lauren Daigle. The song is called You Say, and it goes like this. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours, and I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me, I believe. I love this. He goes, in you I find my worth, in you I find my identity. That is where we find our truest identity, it's in God. And we have to discover God, and in discovering God, we will discover our true self. But notice when it says, when you say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. My feelings sometimes say I am not loved. My feelings do not dictate my identity because God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He also, this, this, the artist says, you say I am strong when I think I am weak, when my thoughts even deceive me. The truth is, you say I am strong, God. 
I love the last part of the little song, I believe. Is this something you personally believe? Do you know this, but do you believe this? And do you believe that I am a child, that you are a child of God? Do you believe that you are loved? Do you believe that you are strong? Do you believe that you are God's precious child? God took Jacob's stubbornness and broke it and created it and formed him into something better, which was Israel. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, But now, O God, O Lord, you are the father and we are the clay. You are the potter and we are the work of your hands. I like that because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he becomes your father. And not only that, he's a potter and he's a master potter. He makes beautiful things out of brokenness. And he wants to make something beautiful out of you and has. I would encourage you to read the rest of this chapter, Isaiah 43. It is powerful. He says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you uh, and the rivers will not overflow on you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flame scorch you. He goes, for I am the Lord your God. Verse 4, he says, for you are precious in my sight, and you have been honored, and I have loved you. Verse 5 says, fear not, for I am with you. Verse 7 says, for everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You and I were created for the glory of God. So, wrapping it up, verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, it says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make roads in the wilderness and stream, rivers in the desert. God is in the business of doing new things. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This, you need to know this verse, every single one of you. Because the enemy will whisper into your ear saying, Hey, Josh, do you remember that sin that you did over there? And he will condemn you. God says, no, Josh, you're new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, the enemy will do everything in his power to distort and change your identity, guys. You see this in the book of Daniel. There were seven things that changed for Daniel and his friends. Their location, their name, Daniel's name changed from Daniel to Belteshazzar. Their language, their schooling, their diet, their body, they were being brainwashed. And right now, the enemy is trying to brainwash a lot of us to conform us into their image. Well, guess what? The Lord wants to do his own brainwashing. And his brainwashing isn't like the world. His brainwashing is actually purifying your mind and cleansing it with the word of God from the inside out. Allow him to do that. See, names I think are important. Some of us have funny names. How many guys have nicknames? Anybody willing to share your nickname? All right, I'll share my nickname if you guys share one of your nicknames. Anybody? You're willing to share? All right, go for it. Snoopy? All right, what's yours? Charlie? What's your actual name? Charlotte. Oh, Charlie. Okay. My mom and dad used to, or my mom used to call me Bubba growing up. 
You better not call me Bubba, okay, guys? But there's nicknames. Some people use their middle name as their main name and different things like that. But I would say this. God is the only one who has the power to change our names because he has the power to change our nature. One day, God is going to give all of us a new name in heaven. And it's Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give him the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, which no one knows except him who receives it. The Lord has a new name which reflects your truest identity in heaven, awaiting for you. I can't wait to get to heaven. And God's like, hey, bro, here you go. He sneaks it to me. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be so tight. But no one else is going to know it. It's going to be my secret with God. It's my personal name. Let God form you and conform your identity to his what he desires and what he wants. Names are important. So when God calls you a saint, holy and set apart, it's true. When he calls you a child, a son or daughter, it's true. When God says you are mine, it's true. Are you gonna believe it? And are you gonna receive it? I pray that you do.